If you have a Bible, turn with us to Matthew 22. As we journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we've been going verse by verse. Y'all know how we do it, verse by verse, line upon line. And, you know, it takes about 10 years to go through this. And then you start all over again, and you get more than what you had the last time, you know. And so it's just amazing what the Bible does to all of us. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like to it. You, should, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. I guess you couldn't answer that. Look, you know, they try to trip him up in his words, and I'm like, how can you trip God up in his words? You know, he's God, clothed in human flesh. How can he, he's the heavenly scholar. How can you trick him up in his words? You can imagine how hard-hearted they were, Lord. You know, you know, seeing and they wouldn't see, hearing and they won't hear because the hearts of these people have grown dull. The, the religious leaders were so blind, and they were like the blind leading the blind, that they could never handle or grab hold of or grasp of who the Messiah really was. They, you know, to a Jewish person, the Messiah is not what we would call the Messiah. You know, we think he's, you know, we know, we don't think that he's the Lord of Lord, King of Kings. You know, he's, he's going to rule and reign here, you know, a, a, a thousand years will reign with him in glorified bodies during the millennium period. It was known as the kingdom age. You know, they saw the Messiah in their mindset was like, that someone that would be, you know, from the seed of David, but like a mighty warrior. You know, someone that would rescue them from Roman rule. Or someone that would, you know, break that yoke that they were under, under the Roman Empire. Now, they saw something different than what we would see in the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he comes as a lamb. It says he comes lowly, gentle. And they're looking for somebody that's nowhere in the world that's going to be the Messiah. Because how would we be still letting Rome govern us and all these other things that they've done, the taxation and all these things? They were looking for a human redeemer, in a sense, from their situation. Like most people want Jesus for their situation, not for their salvation. So Jesus' interaction continues with the religious leaders of his day. And, you know, this is the last week of his public ministry. 
You know, they, they coming from every angle, you know, trying to trap them, every angle. You know, the, the, you know, the Pharisees came, you know. The, you know, when the Pharisees come, they, you know, they want to know, you know, well, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? You know, with the Herodians and the disciples and the Sadducees. Well, if this guy had a wife, and, you know, and, you know and, and he dies and the wife married a brother and the next brother and the next brother, up to seven brothers, which one would be the husband of this bride, this woman, in the, you know, at the resurrection? They, the Sadducees asked that question, and he silenced them. He shut it all down. He says, you know, he says, you don't understand the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God, because listen, if you don't understand the scriptures, you will never know the power of God anyway. And he says that, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he, meaning Christ, had silenced, it's phimoo in the Greek, it is a word that means to muzzle, to put to silence, like muzzling an ox. You know, eight times in the New Testament, the verb, he says, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. He says, well, you look, the Pharisees, look, you heard what he did, he shut them up. And here we're going to come. We got a little more knowledge than they do about the Bible. And it's amazing, you know, when the, it's the Pharisees and Herodians, they were shut up too. Remember? Because when it says in Matthew 22, 22, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left them and went their way. So they were shut down too. But when the Pharisees heard about how the Sadducees were shut up, they called a meeting. Hey, you know, the last time we went with him about the resurrection, he, he shut us up. And so, you know, they got a little huddle. You know, you learn the football game, they got the huddles. And, hey, let's huddle up. And, yeah, we got to come up. With, oh, we got it. Let's get one of our best scribes. Let's get one of our best teachers and let him go and tell them. Let him go and talk to Jesus. Let's get, who, hey, no, you know, he went to school for 18 years, he studied, went to every seminary, and, you know, on the East Coast, this guy got a Ph.D., a Th.D., a M.M.D., a D.D.D. Let's get him, this wonderful expert of the law. And look what it says, then one of them, a lawyer. This is not a lawyer like our lawyers. Because you can go to law school, and you're not, you can be, you can practice law, but you're not an attorney until you pass the bar. You know, you're not an attorney until you pass the bar. You must pass the bar. You know, they got the bar from when the courtrooms back in the day, they would have, you know, these bar between the courtroom and the people that was in the audience. They would have a bar, so you got to pass the bar. And here he says, they sent a lawyer. Lawyer Ezra, you know, who may have fell under this category, Ezra the scribe. You know, one of the lawyers comes to him testing him. You know, the, the lawyer, the law, you know, they get the word law. You know, the word law literally means things laid down or firmly established. That old, you know, dramatic language we know as Old Norse. You know, they would use the word in, in Scandinavia, Peninsula, and Denmark, the word law to, to lay it down. They would use the word lagu, you know, to means law. So this lawyer, expert of the law, comes to Christ to ask him a question. Ask him a question, notice, testing him 
and saying. Now, this is the third and final time they would come testing Jesus Christ. You know, way back in Matthew 16, 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came testing him, seeking a sign. In Matthew 19, 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now they come again, the last test. Because the next thing, they know they can't beat him with words, so you know what they'll try to do? They're going to kill him and lie on him. They'll hand them over to the chief priests and scribes and they'll be crucified and raised and be raised on the third day. They can't get them in words, so they'll start lying on them and create some type of theory that he's almost this man building up some type of insurrection and so forth. And they can't get them in his words. Like some of us, they can arrest us, throw us in jail, but never let them trap you in words. Somebody asks you a question, well, what do you think about this? You ask them the question right back, what do you think about it? Should Christians do this? What do you think about that? Why do you ask me that question? What do you think Christians should do? He, this lawyer, this lawyer, this expert of the law, comes to him. And so after they were defeated in their first round of questions in verse 15 through 22 of this chapter, now here's round two. <laughs> He's like, we didn't get him the first time. So the lawyer comes saying, teacher, or it could say master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, singular, not plural. He didn't say commandments, plural. He said, what is the great, the definite article, the great commandment in the law? So in asking Jesus this question, the lawyer wanted one single answer. He just wanted one single answer, but the Lord gives him two. He wanted one single answer. He gives him, you know, both the Godward answer the Lord will give him and the manward answer, you know, on both sides. Godward side and the man side because, it can, you know, the, the law was broken down into two parts, the Decalogue. You know, God and then man. You know, the Ten Commandments in two parts. And Jesus said to him, now Jesus gives him a straight answer. You know, to, to the question this lawyer asks. Unlike before, when they asked Jesus questions, was it lawful to pay taxes? Jesus, you know, asks them a question. And here he gives them a straight answer. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the great commandment. He used the word love as the, it's the verb form of the noun form. The noun form of the word is agape. Here's agapeo. He uses this word, love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know, Luke wanted them to say, in Mark 2, says your strength. He has that in, in there. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which was part of the Shema. Because the Shema was found in three passages of Scripture. It was found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13 through 21, and in the book of Numbers chapter um, 15, verse 37 through 41, that was the Shema. The Shema is just simply mean, hear thou, O Israel. You know, that's what the Shema was all about. They were, a Jew would quote that in the morning. Hear God, O Israel, the Lord God is one. You know, and Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The inward man, this inward man, the inward man, because you can't see a person's heart, you can't see a person's soul, and you don't know what's inside a person's mind until they open their big mouth. 
He says, you should love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mark, who parallels this, because this is in Mark's account, Luke's account, all the synoptic gospels record this encounter. Mark says in his account of this, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord, Kurios, our God, the Lord, Kurios, is one, and you shall love the Lord, Kurios, which is equivalent to Jehovah, your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and Mark asked it, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So Matthew says, this is the first and great commandment in verse 38. This is the, the first and great commandment. And Jesus responds to this, re, this religious leader, this law, this expert in the law, this lawyer. He says, no, this, he, he, you want to know what's the great commandment? Here it is. And he says, let me tell you something else. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And ever, and he gives them the answer. And they here they're ready to crucify him. They didn't love him. The indictment is from Christ's words. You should love the Lord your God. Look, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I am the Lord Jesus. I am God. You don't love me. Yet you ask me, what's the greatest commandment? Not like you want to do it. You just want to know it. Like some people, they love to know truth, but they never want to live truth. And what they become is a hypocrite. They hear it and they don't do it. They may know it. You can be fascinated by truth. You can be fascinated by what you hear. You can be fascinated by somebody Bible teaching or a sermon. Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, God, that guy was so articulate and all the oratorial skills he had. Oh, my God. You can be fascinated with that. But then never know the truth. And here they got the one who's standing before them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's standing right before them. And he says, let me tell you what the great commandment is. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, you know, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's how we should live. Our lives should be like that. That we should love people. And they was ready to kill them. Thou shall not murder. That was in the Decalogue too. That was in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, Decalogue, same thing. They, thou shall not kill. They was going to have them killed by the end of this week. So they didn't really want truth. And I think this lawyer, when he asks this question, I think this lawyer is, a, is somewhat genuine. I don't think he's like trying to really trap Jesus in his words like that. You know, he came testing them, but as he hears the answer, I think the Lord breaks his heart down, softens his heart. Because Matthew tells us, I mean, Mark tells us in this gospel, rather, that sort of this man, Jesus, you're not that far from the kingdom, buddy. So as he gets the answer, it must have melted his heart. You know, Jesus probably said it in a way we would have never said it. Like, Let me tell you, man, what you asking me all these dumb questions for, man? That's how we would have said it. Jesus looks at him and said to him, in love, you shall love. You shall love. You shall agape. You should love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like two. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody outside of you is your neighbor. And he says, on these two, because he only asked for one, he says, on these two, plural, commandments, plural, hang all, not some, the law and the prophets. The Sadducees would have had a hard time with this because they didn't believe in anything but the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in any of the prophetic books. 
They only believed in, and they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. And here this, this lawyer comes to Jesus. So the Pharisees send this lawyer, this expert of the law, to test Jesus. But Mark tells us, it seems as though this lawyer is getting broken down some. Because Mark says in his gospel, so the scribes said to him, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no one other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Something happened with this encounter with Christ as Lawyer had. He came testing him, but somehow his heart must have got touched. You know how you come, you think you're going to get old, tell somebody off a few, you know, some of us, you know, you've been so angry. I'm a, when I see him, I'm going to tell him a few things or two. And then when you, and they get to you and they explain to you what really happened to you, he's like, I can't believe I came like this. I can't believe I came so angrily to this person. And here he comes testing them. So Jesus is going to ask them a question next. They ask Jesus questions. He answers the question. Usually he asks them a question with their question, but he didn't do that. He says, no, no, no. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like two. You shall love, the, you shall love your neighbors. You love yourself. On all these two, on these two commandments hang all the law. And the prophets, the prophets, you're talking about from Isaiah all the way through Malachi. Because the volume of the book was about him. He told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. No, they testify me. The volume of the book is about me. Go back and read Psalm chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. The volume of the book is about me. The Bible was about Christ. It was a love story from God to man. That he sent his dear son to die in sinful man place. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a love story. And in turn, that love story is sort of, you know, it, it, it comes to fruition when we say, Lord, here I am, Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. I'm saying, please save me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Uh, rescue me from my sins. He says, no, I already paid for your sins. Just yield and give them to me. And confess them. And then your life becomes a prize to you. Then your life, you say, no, we never understood the love of God except from salvation. You would have never understood it. We was thinking that God was ready to get us for every little thing we've done. And here he's standing right before this man. And they ask him these questions. Jesus answers the question back. And now Jesus asks them a question. While the Pharisees in verse 41 were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now the table's turn. He's, he's asking the question. This is trouble. If Christ's asking questions, <clears throat> you probably can't answer them. This is trouble for all of us if he asks us the question. Saying, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? What do you, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Now this is a problem when you read the scriptures and... Because son of David is a messianic title. 
They hated the fact that when blind Bartimaeus says, son of David, have mercy on me. And he screamed louder and louder, you know, the son of Timaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. So they said, shut him up. Because that's his messianic title. When blind Bartimaeus says, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what blind Bartimaeus was saying? That that's the Messiah. That Jesus is the Messiah. Let me tell you why blind Bartimaeus had it right, too. Because nowhere in the Old Testament did anybody give anybody sight to the blind. Nowhere in the New Testament, only Jesus gave sight to the blind. Only Jesus. You read Isaiah, you know, 35, you know, you read Isaiah, you know, in the Old Testament. You, read, you go back through the book of Isaiah that the Messiah would come and give sight to the blind. Which is interesting. So when Jesus was giving sight to the blind, those religious leaders who knew the prophet Isaiah scroll and read it they knew that he was the messiah but yet they rejected him anyway because no one else could give sight to the blind you know i love john chapter 9 when that guy that blind man receives his sight and they said well do you know he's i don't know who he is all i know he gave me my sight he said, you should be one of his disciples and the religious leaders looked at him like we should kill you now and it's interesting he says the religious leaders the pharisees when christ asked them the question the son of David. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And this is the question for us. What do we think about the Christ? Is he only a pigment of our imagination? Is he, you know, only a miracle worker? Is he only a provider for our material needs? Is he simply a mere man with limited power in our lives? Is it a good Bible character when you read about Jesus Christ? <clears throat> you know, and... Who is Christ to us today? Who is Christ to you today? Like, what is Christ in relationship to you? Like, people see Christ and they say, ah, oh, I believe in Christ. I'm a Christian. Okay. If you are a Christian, who is Christ to you? It's a really simple probing question. Because sometimes we limit Christ in our life. Sometimes we look at Christ and say, well, he's Christ on Sundays, but look, on Tuesday and Wednesday, especially if I get a pink slip at work, he ain't Christ today. He Christ until I wake up in the morning, I wake out a flat tire outside, you know, he, he, he's Christ. And, and, you know, little things in our life can make us look at Christ the wrong way. And he asks these religious leaders, and they don't know, they don't have a clue who he really is. They don't have a clue because of the hardness of this, their hearts. You know, but right now, at this particular time in our lives, who is Christ to us? Who is Christ to you? And when you wake up every morning and you get start your day, well, who is Christ to you? Who is he? You know, he said, well, I love the Lord, but how? In which way? How? He says, this is how you love me. You love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, okay, your heart is bent towards him. You know, your, your soul, your inward soul, that part of you where your emotions lie is all under his subjection. And your strength, you serving him every chance you get. You can't wait to serve Jesus Christ and his people. And here he says that, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him. The son of David. They answered the right question, but not with the right understanding of what they answered. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? <laughs> he said, how does David in the spirit cause him 
Lord, and this is based off their own answer and reply when they said that Christ is the son of David. When Jesus, oh, is he? Oh, great answer. Well, praise the Lord. But how then does David, who they regarded as like, you know, bigger than life, you know, David, you know, David, David, the king of Israel, they, you know, David was the greatest king in all of Israel. He says, well, how then does David, in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Bible, call him Lord, saying, and he's going to quote Psalm 110, verse 1, a psalm of David. And David, when he writes these psalms, if you go through the psalm, this is a messianic psalm. You know, pointing to the Messiah. And then Jesus says, as Matthew writes, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your footstool. Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, that sounds kind of strange to us, but I'll explain what that means. The Lord said to my Lord. Now, how can the Lord say to my Lord? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. Sit at my right hand. The Son of God sits next to the Father on the throne. Sit at my right hand. You read Acts chapter 7, verse 49. You read Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. You read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He's set at the right hand. He's at the right hand of the Father. You know, as it says in Hebrews 7, 25, Romans 8, 34. He's at the right hand of the Father, making intercessory prayer for us. Remember when Stephen got stoned, the Lord stood up? He was at the right hand of the Father and he stood up and I'm, I don't know what he said but I would have imagined just you know, speculation preacher Stephen. Oh, preacher boy. Preach it. Preach it Steve. And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus' enemies would be his footstool. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter, it's squeezed right in between it, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, Paul says, therefore, he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So Psalm 110 is a declaration of the Messiah's reign. You know, this, this psalm is more directly messianic in nature than any other psalm in the Bible. All the synoptic gospels record this. You know, Matthew records it here, Matthew 22, 44. Mark records it in Mark 12, 36. Luke records it in Luke chapter 20, verse uh, 42. They all record this to demonstrate and establish that Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God was from the seed of David. Not merely David's descendant. God promised David, and it's interesting what God promised David. David couldn't build a temple. But God promised David, this is in your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And if someone has something established after you, David's kingdom only lasts 40 years. But to have something established after you, that means that if it's forever, that person who's sitting on that throne is greater than you because their kingdom is forever. Yours was only for 40 years. And he says that, no, let me tell you something, but Jesus' kingdom would be forever. So for Jesus to use this passage of Scripture, Psalm 110, verse 1, it also proves to us this, that David wrote it. 
Not only does he say, he quotes it, but David, David wrote it. He says, how then can David say in the spirit? David wrote it and Jesus knew that he wrote it. This first verse, Psalm 110, is also quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. And in Hebrews chapter 10, if I'm not mistaken, verse 13. This is written all through the Bible. The Lord, and this is what it's saying in the, in the, in the Old Testament. He says, the Lord, that's Jehovah, Yahweh, said, this is the Hebrew word said, or says, oftentimes portrays an oracle or revelation. The Lord said to my Lord, Adonai, Master, the Messiah. The Lord, Father God, said to the Son, God, Messiah, and somehow David heard this conversation when he writes this. I don't know how he heard this. The Holy Spirit showed him something really deep. Between God the Father and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his son. All inspired by the Holy Spirit. How did David get put this pen this down? Because it says, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, said to my Adonai, the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Said to the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king, yet he's David's Lord. How can he be David's Lord if David was his greater descendant? Because he is Lord, because before David was, he was. That's how he could be the Lord of David, because before the foundation of the world, worthy as a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And I'm these, the Pharisees, they're probably like this. Say something. Because he's letting them know something that they could, look, look, you come asking me, what's the great commandment? I'm telling you what's the great commandment. Love the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. You don't love me. I am the Lord. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus says, if David then calls him Lord, notice, how is he his son? Now, who can answer that question? Matter of fact, it's not who can answer that question. Who could ask that question except God? Not who can answer it because they can't answer it, but who could ask that question? Only God can ask a question like this because nobody can answer that question. Nobody can really answer that question and know in detail for real except the scriptures show us. How can you say, how can you call him Lord? How can David then call him Lord? If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Because they said, oh, David, the Messiah would be, you know, the son of David. Jesus says, yeah, the Messiah would come from the seed of David, but the Messiah is greater than David. Because David was a king that would fail. He's a perfect king. And all judgment has been given unto our king. All judgment has been given unto Christ. When you stand at the beamer seat, the, the, the beamer seat to receive your words, you know going to be there? Jesus Christ. Every believer is going to stand before Christ. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not a bad place. We're going to receive rewards there. But for the unbelieving world, it says, and they stood before a throne, the great white throne judgment, and he that sat on that throne, the earth fled from him. That's Christ there. You read John chapter 5, all judgment has been given to the Son. And they all that didn't believe in him will stand before him one day. 
bet you they won't have any questions then. He's going to be asking all the questions. Your name. Oh, is your name written? Oh, let me see. Tito Jackson? No. Mike, you know, are you going to call on everybody? Oh, no, the name not found in this book. It, you know, you no, know, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never ever knew you. As David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one noticed. I love verse 46. And no one was able to answer him a word. A logos, a word. They couldn't answer him a word, notice, nor from that day on. You got a few more days left before you get crucified. Did anyone dare question him any more? These religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians started off trying to trip him up in his words, but they were put to silence and shame. And the people marveled. They said, man. Who could this be? He teaches with one like a, with authority. You know, Christ had authority when he taught. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees. They only taught what they heard of the rabbis. Shimei said this. Halal said this. Aqaba said this. No, he taught as one with authority. Let me tell you why. Because he taught the word of the living God. The word became flesh and tabernacle among us. He was the word and he taught the word. We have authority because of the word of God. Our authority is useless apart from the word of God. When you stand at your workplace and you start sharing Jesus Christ or wherever you start sharing Jesus Christ and you use his word, you have the heavenly host behind you. All authority is in God's word. In fact, it's a verse in Psalm 130, Psalm 138, and you know, verse 2, he magnifies his word even above his name. That's the power of his word. It's power in his word. They didn't answer him one word. He shut them down. He shut them up. The religious leaders had the wrong view who the Messiah would be. They wanted just a uh, plain old human Messiah. Somebody that could fix their circumstances. You know, so many people like that in the church today. They only want a Jesus that can fit their circumstances, not change their heart. Not a Jesus that would change you to walk like he walked and talk like he walked and think like he think and sense the things that he senses. No, no, no. Let this mind that's in Christ Jesus also be in you. You know, coming in the form of a bondservant, taking on the likeness of sinful man. Look, he made himself of no reputation. You know, people want a different Jesus today. I want Jesus, but oh, man, I want a different Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus is love him of all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know. You know, imagine loving him, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Just imagine that. That you wake up in the morning, oh, this is the great commandment. What? I love Jesus. <laughs> That's my, I love him. People say, well, what about, can you go, will you vacillate from what you believe in because of circumstances? No. No, I'm not, no, I love him. My face, my mind is all made up. It's fixed like a flint. I'm willing to go wherever the Lord sends me. I'm willing to do whatever the Lord says. Lord, I love you. I don't want any other guy. All the other guys ain't worth nothing anyway, but I want you, Lord. Imagine living like that. Imagine having that much joy when you wake up in the morning. I remember the first day I got saved, I woke up the next morning and I heard something outside that was strange. It was like this. Same birth that was always there. But now I had a peace that surpassed all knowledge to hear it. And looked at the beauty of his creation, the beauty of all that he was. 
and who he is and what he is and what he means to me right now personally. You could never love people unless your relationship is right with God. It won't happen. It will never happen. It will we'll always amplify their faults and minimize the things that they do good. And the religious leaders, it was, always about, it was about religion. It's about you had to do this, you had to do this. And Jesus is going to call them hypocrites. All, when we get to next week, I'm telling you, just sit on your seats now because this is going to be a long ride. You hypocrites, you hypocrites, you ain't looking at a what? <laughs> Whoever talked to the religious leaders like that, he called them all hypocrites, not because he wanted to shame them, hoping that they would change and come to Christ and live and have a life, that life, abundant life. Not a life filled with religion. They were looking for a mighty warrior like David was. No, 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 he came like a lamb, being led to the slaughter, yet he'd opened out his mouth, and it pleased the Father to bruise him. That's what we should be. We should be able to stand before people, shut them down when they start talking weird stuff with love, speaking the truth, Ephesians 4.15, with love. We should be able to shut all that stuff down when people ask you all these questions and all these hypotheses and all these different questions and all these things to trap your words about, oh, you say you believe in Jesus, right? Well, tell me that we should be able to shut all of that down. We should be like Stephen when he stood before the religious guys in Acts chapter 6, verse 10, when it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which do you know that he spoke? They were not able, they couldn't resist his wisdom because it was God's word. And that's what we should be like. Not phony church people. You, you people live the, I live the Christian life and I can't get any victory in the Christian life. Why? 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 What? You know why? Because you don't love God. When you love God, he changes all that thinking. And people say, well, you don't know what kind of past I had. No, no, I had a crazy past, too. Hey, look, my life was a mess. But Jesus says, if any man be in Christ, a woman, he's a new creation, old things pass away. Behold, consider all things become new. You can have a new life in Christ if you yield to Christ. Well, you know, when I was little, my father never hugged me. I ain't never even seen my father. So I'm going to live the rest of my Christian life saying, I wish somebody hugged me. That's just nonsense. You mean the cross only is relegated to just our circumstances? No, Christ had victory on the cross. And we are victors too. And he stands right before these religious guys. Say, let me ask you a question. What do you think about the Messiah? What do you think about the Christ? When you leave her today, what do you think about Christ? What is the great commandment in your heart cooking? God tells us what it is to love him. You say, well, I wish I could get up, come with some new theology. No, no, no. To love him. That's it. And the second is, well, what's the second? Love your neighbor, the people around you. You don't walk around and say you believe, and you look at your neighbor, I can't stand him. Make me sick every time I see him. Church people got my parking space. Heathen. We're like Esther, though, fish-eyed fool, you know, or something. And God said, no, 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 love people. Amen? Amen? Let's stand up as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, too, Lord. It teaches us, Lord. It shows us, Lord, how, Lord, we need to continually walk in this, Lord. 
We need to continue follow you continually, Lord, that our hearts would be like those on the road of amaze that did not our hearts burn within us. That we never become professional religious people, but Lord, we always want to love people. That's the proof of our loving you, Lord, how we treat other people, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, even now, Lord. Pray for those who don't know you, Lord, that they would one day say, Lord, be my savior, be my master, be my king. Forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me of all that I know to be wrong. That person that don't know Jesus, that they will fall down before you and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I come dirty, clean me up. I come living a reckless life, but clean me up, Lord. Give me a new meaning in life and for life. Give me a new purpose, Lord. Change my, Lord, destination, Lord. I know that I'm a sinner, and Lord, that person, Lord, they can come to you by faith, and you would change their whole trajectory of life, Father. So, Father, we love you. We honor you, Lord. We praise you. Lord, get glory today, Lord. One day we all bow down before you, Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father be the glory so Lord we love you Lord we honor you we praise you in your great name we pray Holy Spirit we love you we pray amen